Hello, on this special episode of the Nerd Outcast podcast, we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hello, welcome back. I'm your host, Chris. And like I mentioned just a minute ago, we're going to talk about the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know how we're going to do this in the time that we have, but we are going to evaluate uh, and kind of compare notes and thoughts and feelings about what has become now known as the Infinity Saga. So let me go real quick around and kind of introduce everybody. Sitting here in Los Angeles with me is... Briggs Hatton. Briggs Hatton. Uh, describe yourself for me, sir. Oh, well, uh, my, yeah, I am a, a Los Angeles screenwriter and uh, and and a buddy of Chris Bashan from our <laughs> Chicago days. Buddy of Chris Bashan. Perfect. Uh, excellent. Um, I've also got a friend over in Kentucky. Describe yourself for me, sir. Hi, I'm Ricky Glore, and I am a touring stand-up comedian and also the head writer of Hashtag Explain a Movie Plot Badly at Explain Plot on Twitter. Coming soon to a television network, and i that's all I can say about that. Okay, save save the plugs, buddy. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get to <laughs> the show it. plugs. No, that's great. That's great. Um, also, uh, over on the East Coast in Atlanta, we have... Hey, everybody. I'm Crispy. Uh, you might recognize me from the dragon con days if that's your thing i'm kind of one of their brand ambassadors and that's just i'm a big brand ambassador for geek culture here in the atlanta area perfect and then uh we got a couple guests in chicago one of them is a blood relative who are you sir hey i'm uh, rob shoemate uh bartender in chicago and uh just relative geek who likes video games and movies perfect and then finally who is my last guest today uh, that would be me, DJ Fink. I have another Chicago uh, connection to Chris. Uh, my overall comic book nerd and aspiring academic. Perfect. Great. Um, gentlemen, let's jump in. So we did it. We survived 22 <laughs> movies of, of, you know, like the longest, most expensive Netflix season ever produced. So <laughs> um, what, do we, what do we think of the Infinity Saga? Did Marvel succeed in their grand plan for, you know, creating a shared universe? And, you know, if so, what were some of the highlights? And if not, like, what were some of the flaws? Like, if you had to give it a letter grade, what would you say? And I'm just going to throw that ball up and let whoever <laughs> wants to catch it. So I think I would say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, that's fair. I was going to say, if you look if you look at the big picture, right? You're talking about the, the grand universe as a whole. I think it, it's exceptionally successful. Uh, from start to finish, sure, there's peaks and valleys, but you're looking at the whole thing as one object, and I think they more than achieved what they originally set out to do, and, and did so fairly well. Anybody agree or disagree with that? I, I pretty much agree with that wholeheartedly, yeah. <laughs> I would say, as, as films go, I mean, yeah, they succeeded in making, in making a whole bunch of money and making decent uh, cohesive movies along the way that I don't feel like was as planned out as they like to say now, I think the two head writers for Endgame dropped a little ball on um, Kevin Smith's podcast where they said that Kevin Feige, the big joke around the MCU is, yeah, we really piecemealed this one nicely mm. because it wasn't as laid out as they like to George Lucas it, like to make it feel like in retrospect that it was. My personal opinion is I, I don't love as many movies. I, I would say there's maybe four movies that I really, really enjoy. And besides that, I'm probably not going to go back to most of them. Hmm. What are the four favorites for you? I'm just curious. 
crazy enough and this i mean i know i'm gonna probably die on this hill um is i watched infinity war again on a plane ride to california a couple weekends ago and then i watched age of ultron after it and age of ultron is exceptionally good in areas that infinity war and endgame are not in my opinion which is character development and dialogue granted i know infinity war and endgame is juggling a whole lot more um i think age of ultron especially for being a movie that gets poo-pooed on i think a lot is really good and takes its time um civil war i i think the the plane fight sequence that 15 minutes is worth Mm -hmm. the price of admission and then iron man one dj what about uh what about you what are your kind of summarizations on the infinity saga so far Overall, I think it's immensely successful. Um, as a guy who grew up reading the comics that are the source material for this, you know, there's so many after-action retcons and things like that that it, it's very easy to look back and say, oh, well, they didn't get that right when they wrote it 10 years ahead of time, not knowing exactly where it was going to go. I, I think it worked out really well. There's definitely some low points for me. Uh, there's definitely some things that I wish that they could... Uh, you know, George Lucas go back and retweak a little bit and kind of correct some things. But um, overall, I think I think it worked out really well. As a comic book fan, I was immensely happy with the overall product. Briggs, you're here in the room with me. What's <laughs> what's your thoughts, man? Yeah, well, as I was saying before, um, I feel like I'm kind of a late-breaking MCU fan. I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm uh, scared to admit that I have not seen cap one nor let's see uh iron man two but uh you know but then increasingly i'd say like in the past four years or so they've just gotten for my money sort of better and better i really civil war i thought that was such a great move to sort of like scale it back and sort of make it make it about this sort of inner conflict um and then yeah overall sort of i mean a year ago just like Infinity War and just the, the snap sort of mm-hmm. the cultural impact of it, it I mean I've, you know is there is there a cliffhanger on the scale of something like Empire Strikes Back in our lifetime hmm. besides that you know you I don't know the snap yeah just yeah. sort of that that sort of cliffhanger moment mm-hmm. yeah. you know I can't think of a the only two series I think that um, can kind of compete or be compared to the MCU and feel free to disagree with me as as far as length is concerned james bond um and as far as like attempting to tell a cohesive narrative universe i think only star trek comes close mm-hmm. um i can't really think of another series of of movies that that compete with the length or you know the longevity or or the narrative of of the mcu i can't really i don't think it's ever really been done before are, are we gonna ignore the land before time series come on <laughs> <laughs> that's like, there's like eight of those now no but yeah no i'm in the, i'm definitely in the same boat because it's like it's with endgame you know uh, you uh, mentioned uh the, the empire kind of cliffhanger ending and things like that you know it, it's such a fantastic moment for film production and thing and just as a consumer culture like i don't think we're ever going to see another movie spectacle like just the the zeitgeist of a thing like we did with endgame like this this is this is not just our generation's empire i mean this is art this is huge you know on a global scale and you know everyone's talking 
uh, and, and invested, even if they don't care, they're still a part of the conversation because people like to go, well, that endgame, I don't like that, you know, and so they'll brag about that. People are still talking. And I, and I don't think we have ever seen anything like it to this scale, and I don't think we ever will again after this. I'm really curious to kind of talk about where they go from here, but we'll save that for later. Um, yeah, you know, like, it's this is a really weird year for nerds because we're, we're getting the culmination of the MCU. We're getting the culmination of Game of Thrones. Um, and, I mean, we've got, you know, episode nine, the, the supposed ending of the Skywalker saga. Um, so there's a lot of emotional nerd journeys yeah. happening this year. And that's just on film. There's um, a ton on TV as well. A lot of shows are ending this mm -hmm. year. It's, it's tumultuous yeah. across the board. Mm -hmm. um, I, I threw this question out that, that I wanted everybody to think about beforehand. Was there one – what do you think is one decision that led to – like what is the biggest decision that guaranteed the success of the MCU? Like, if there's one thing you had to point to, maybe a meeting behind a closed door or a casting or anything, like, is there one thing that you think solidified that they were going to succeed? I was going to say uh, Kevin Feige, but, uh, yeah, at the same time, ha having someone go through, but Ricky b brought the point about the Russo interview with Kevin Smith, so that kind of that kind of shook my stance there. I, I think having a unified voice, even if it's not just one person, but having a unified voice guide it through... You know, to look at the Star Wars movies, you know, we talked about, you know, Last Jedi before and how that was divisive and how the franchise was a little shattered there. And I think a lot of that was because they didn't have the right people guiding. It wasn't a unified vision. Each movie could be its own thing. And regardless of who was at the helm of the MCU, they, it at least had a cohesive direction. And more than any one breakout star, like behind the scenes, I think that's why this was as successful as it was. And it wasn't the Russo brothers that uh, Smith and Mark Bernard interviewed. It was the uh, the two writers, but they had mentioned Oh, that, right, right, sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, – I think the, the greatest thing that they – well, with Star Wars, not to make it a Star Wars podcast, it shook us because it had original characters that we loved where I don't feel like it broke the universe because the prequels did that, and I think people were quick to forget – when they got butthurt about Last Jedi, it was like, yeah, but hold that up against those other three movies that we were bitching about for a long time. Um, but with this, I think the the biggest plus was holding on to a core group of actors and even character actors that really made it important with important with uh, good castings of big characters. I would say ultimately holding on to Robert Downey Jr. and paying him $50 million a movie helped his bank account and helped us as viewers but even we got to see chris hemsworth who if you for me if you go back and watch the first star trek of the the reboots i was like man that guy's a terrible fucking actor and then throughout the mcu i got to see him grow as an actor granted the way his character grew is a complaint that i actually have for like the last phase and a half of the <laughs> mcu movies which is everyone becomes a comedian mm hmm hmm uh, DJ, what do you think? Like about this one decision, or you know? Uh, for me, I, I think the uh, I, I had to look at the the MCU through the lens of not just how they did things, but the uh, the attempt at another shared universe with the X Men franchise that was done, and how poorly you know they kept having to very quickly change timelines and recast people and do things like that. Uh, but the one thing that made that successful was the casting of say. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. 
And for the MCU, similarly, it was the casting of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark because that was not just a guy who looks like the, the character of Tony Stark from the comics, but it's a guy who's got all the, the crazy brilliance, arrogance, problems that go along with being so brilliant. Um, so that wasn't just a guy acting it. I mean, it really is him with, with all of those same character flaws and quirks, and that sold me on their ability to, to get the right people in the right place. Mm-hmm. And I think fr- from that, then it was the, the decision to have that one comic book-related person, Kevin Feige, there to oversee everything and at least bring not just the what's best for the for the box office but what's best for the, the the nerds that grew up on this stuff and those two things combined i think are what put this over the top it's it's interesting that you bring up robert downey jr because i wonder if um now that disney owns marvel if disney had owned marvel back in 2005 you know or six i don't think they would have cast him like i think disney would have seen him as too um, it was hard enough for Favreau to do it. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he couldn't get he couldn't get him insured. Favreau had to pay his insurance for the movie. Oh, interesting! Oh, I didn't know oh, that. Wow. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're coming off of a guy who was fired and in jail on Ali McBeal, Ali McBeal, who was having money, and then he got arrested again when he woke up in that kid's bedroom, in the house that wasn't his when the the family was out of town. Like oh. he is Tony Stark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, man. Yeah, John Favreau had to bond him because he's like, A, he is, he's, he's who I want. And they're like, are you sure we could go after Tom Cruise? He expressed interest in the 90s. And he said, so no. He's like, he's like I, if I have to bond him, I will to have him in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. That's such a great choice. I don't know. If you think back to like 2008 and it's like, oh, like, like oddball smarmy smart mm-hmm. aleck like robert downey is gonna like head up this major thing like i don't know like the, i don't know in retrospect it like seems like a no-brainer but at the time it's like oh wow this is this is cool and really out of left field well and, and even yeah. though he's a lame villain you know jeff bridges brings in a lot of charisma to that movie and especially the scenes between him and robert downey jr and even gwyneth paltrow who people can have their personal opinions of her outside with goop and everything that is such a strong ensemble of a cast. And then John Favreau, who's no slouch of an actor, which I think shows that in Endgame for the short amount that he's in. Yeah, I feel he was also kind of a um, gamble of a director choice uh, when they... Because didn't they hire him because he was cheap? Because none of the... Like... He pit- and he pitched it. Yeah. And he pitched it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, uh, they picked him up because of Elf, because Elf was successful. Seriously. I know that's just so funny uh, to me. There's a special uh, edition on the end of the uh, the in, uh, sorry Infinity War that all the directors sit around and talk about the movies they directed. And people forget that Iron Man was not a sexy character. Not like a, he had he had the uh, the was it Channel sixty four the WB wasn't WB cartoon when there's Fantastic Four and there was the uh, the Hulk cartoon and there was a line of toys but really like no one was championing for an Iron Man movie, they thought Captain America was going to be the spearhead, or mm-hmm. Hulk, obviously, which is why the Ang Lee Hulk movie exists. When, when they first announced Iron Man, you know, I, I was doing a podcast at the time, and, and on the show, one of the things were like, okay, B-list Iron Man, right on. I mean, Iron Man was cool, <laughs> but 
he was never like a main character, and so we caught not Batman. No, you know, so we actually caught a press screener for that. Like we were one of the first people to see Iron Man before it was released in the wild, and and we were just man, we were just blown away. Like we immediately went to a diner, recorded an episode right there because it just blew us away. It was fantastic. We didn't have the the Nick Fury scene because they held that back from all the press screeners. Oh, so that kind of became cool. a, a running gag for years. But, you know, you know they didn't have the end credit scene. Uh, because they wanted you to actually go back and watch it, and they wanted that to be a treat for the the audience and things like that. And to think that they were manipulating the idea of it back then was just was just rad. Uh, and to see where we are now, you know, got ten plus years later. Yeah, and like you mentioned, in retrospect, Robert Downey Jr. is the perfect choice. And I and I feel like after walking out of Iron Man, I felt like that was the case. I just wasn't sure of it b- b- before walking into Iron Man. Well, and if you consider the other risks that were taking place, uh, we came off of strong late 80s showing with Tim Burton, Batman, mm-hmm. and then the Batman franchise got screwed up eight ways to Sunday. The X-Men uh, movies started strong, and they started getting really confusing and all sorts of <laughs> weird directorial things that were going on, and the, you know, oh my God, look what they tried to do and then messed up with Deadpool, and so there was comic book movies were not a thing that was going to be a guaranteed and you got a, a director uh, an ensemble cast the technology was finally at the right peak to make Iron Man look like it wasn't a guy running around in a plastic suit actually looked like a suit of armor from the comics come to real life and those all those things kind of came together at the right time well, something you mentioned that you hopscotched over a little bit was, which I think supports the the actor claim that we're making, which makes makes the MCU so strong, is Batman Begins. Christopher Nolan showed that you can make a superhero movie with A-list actors slash Academy Award nominated slash winning actors and indie actors that took it seriously. So I, I would be surprised or remiss to say that John Favreau probably had to have used that in a pitch. Or to even and I think, get like Jeff Bridges. I think that even goes back to the whole reason Batman Begins came around, uh, came about because the Batman franchise went so right. poorly that then it was the there was a fan made, I mean quality production guys, but it was still fan made uh, Batman versus Predator short. Yeah, Batman Dead End. That was great. I've got a yeah, copy of it. I love so Batman good. Dead End. It's one of and my favorite that, things. That dark, gritty, realistic, you know, kind of depiction of things gave us this new way to look at comics as, oh, 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 okay, we we can get, like, real world with this stuff. Even if we're talking about all these crazy, fantastic things, we can do this in a setting that the rest of us recognize. It's funny that that, um, Iron Man came out the same year as The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Um, They both came out in 2008, if I'm... Remember yeah, my, that summer. My, yeah, yeah that, that was a big summer. Yeah. Um, do you? I haven't seen it in a long time. Twenty-two movies later, ten years later, does the very first Iron Man, the beginning of the MCU, hold up? Hundred percent. Uh yeah, one hundred percent. I also have not seen it in a long time. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. No, it does, and so much so, I think. Uh, I'm not, maybe I'm the in the minority of this. I think so much so, the copycat version of that, which came out less than a year later, The Incredible Hulk. Really that, holds that was up. only two months later. They were yeah. produced at the two ex- months. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah that's they were. Crazy. Right they, were they, they were literally made at the same time. But tonally, I feel there's a lot. And uh, now, like I said, go back and watch it. The only thing that makes me sad now, even though I think Edward Ed Norton is fantastic, you know, now I do pine for a Mark Ruffalo Hulk movie, which we're, we're never, never going to get because of Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
God, we have so much here. I, I just need to keep us. I, need, I just need <laughs> to keep that us, suitcase. Keep us going. Get it um, going. Is there anything in the MCU that needs to be fixed? Yes, humor. Can you explain that? <laughs> not everybody gets to have the same voice. I... Not everybody gets to be as sarcastic and witty as the next person, just to break tension in a scene or to make it lively. Do you think if they don't do that, that the ticket sales would plummet? Like I understand what you mean, Ricky. I have the same qualm. Yeah. Like everybody is a everybody is a Tony Stark or a Star Lord, even though it may not be within their character to respond as such. And I mean, look at Thor Ragnarok. This is the best example. Like Thor Ragnarok, I love that movie. I love that movie, and I think it's the best yeah. Thor. Thor finally has not... Thor finally has personality. Yeah. So is there a way to do these characters in humor without defaulting to almost Joss Whedon snarkyism? Hmm. You know? But that's what I'm saying. That's why I bring up Age of Ultron. I swear, go back and watch that movie. And as much as we think Whedon's dialogue uh, is what drove us to where we are now, I don't think it is. I think that movie drives us to Civil War. And then from Civil War, when the toy chest gets too packed, that's when they're having a hard time with not having expository dialogue seem clunky. So they do it in jokes. I, th I think also we're seeing an, an increase of humor, and I, I'm a, I'm of the camp. I love the humor, but I totally agree as a criticism that it's been a lot. But that's also kind of in in response to society as a whole being dour, and I feel like we're seeing more of these humor in films that normally don't necessarily have humor as just a means to, especially for comic book movies, we go to them to to feel good and to have fun, right? We've yet to really have a Marvel movie that that made us go super introspective, probably you know. It, even even like the Winter Soldier is the ones that do kind of have more internal working still as spectacle, you know. So as lo as long as these movies are built on the platform of spectacle, I think we're still going to see that because people need the escapism. Even though I, do, I even though I do agree that we need to find a better balance of what we have now. For me, the the humor gets paid off in Guardians One because I don't know about you guys, I was crying in that first ten minutes. And oh, I was it's like, oh, oh, it's like, I didn't know this movie was going to do this. So then when his character is jokey, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. It's a defense mechanism. Where almost like Iron Man, it makes sense. It's a defense mechanism because he is an alcoholic. He has this, issue, you know, there's neuroses. But then when other characters, it feels like have been, it almost feels like it's a disease that they get infected with. Like, if too many people spend too much time with Star-Lord, they're going to start talking like Star-Lord. <laughs> what do you uh, mean they're going to talk like Star-Lord? <laughs> uh, I'm not doing his voice. <laughs> He's doing my voice. Uh, hey, Mr. Comedy Writer over there. Uh, what do you think, Briggs? Yeah, I mean... Uh... Do you think the character voices are, are, are blending a little too much? I think that is a funny point now that you guys bring it up. It's sort of, you know, to join the Avengers, you have to uh, fill your quip quotient. <laughs> you, have, you have to do so many sets at the, at the nightclub. What's your tight five? <laughs> Hawkeye, you're a little dour. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta up the, up the laughs. Um, I'll do it, whatever, whatever to be in this movie. Put me in your movie. <laughs> okay. I got some sick burns. I, I think there is something to be Ultron. said. <laughs> I think there's something to be said that they uh, they, they do kind of show the characters all growing and kind of getting into that interpersonal relationship together where they do have those uh, sarcastic things. I mean, Cap obviously having those moments of being like, oh, yeah, that's America's ass, seems out of place for a guy who's so straight. and But when you take into then consideration that now 
you know, whatever portion of his life since he came out of the ice has been spent around these people and developing that relationship. Um, I mean, we all have groups of friends that there's certain things that we say and how we act around them that really is only because of them and not with anybody else. So I think there's something to that. The one thing I wish they would fix is I don't mind Thor being funny. I wish they would stop making Thor funny as the punchline um, mm-hmm. because it's kind of got pathetic. Thor to me was always funny because he was just so different and he didn't change as much. He, you know, he was the, they went out and they had their battle and whatever. And he, he was the guy that was like, all right, let's go drink mead. And they're like, can we go take a nap first? You know, in the comics, that was always kind of the thing where he was still so Asgardian living on earth and they just made him way too earthy for the character, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he became very earthy uh, as the series went along. And um, uh, he, I mean, like thinking back to Thor Ragnarok, I mean, Chris Hemsworth does comedy very well. Like when I saw Ghostbusters, I was, I loved him. Um, so to see him like get to play that in Thor, and there was a lot of slapstick in Thor Ragnarok, which I actually really appreciated. But I can see your point, DJ, about like making him the butt of a joke, or like, you know, he says he's gonna do one thing, and then this funny thing happens to him, you know, um, which is something I feel they don't necessarily do as much with the other um, characters. Sorry, I keep thinking about the Avengers improv team now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, Rob, what about you? What about these char- this you know these disparate character voices and kind of the writing of them? Like, what do you? What I do agree. You I, I think they went a little too far with Thor. Um, but, like, what something DJ said earlier where uh, the characters kind of grew together, I see, and I think it's a, a real big credit to the writers, especially with Cap and uh, Tony. Like, even at the end of the movie, Tony says like, we, they were around each other so much, or uh, Cap said that, that uh, they kind of rubbed off on each other so that, yeah, Tony did learn to, you know, step up and, and sacrifice, and then Cap learned to be a little greedy you know well and also just put it on you guys the uh the writer said if you look at it cap and tony actually have the most paralleled switch of a of an arc of a storyline cap was about servicing and being uh selfless and you know a jump on the the grenade right and then he learns to live life he went without living life for so long he learns to live it tony was living life to the fullest. He was experienced boy times 3,000, right? And then he becomes selfish to selfless. So Uh they actually, like, you know, switch lanes. Yeah, yeah. I I think that, yeah. Go ahead, GJ. They had this conversation at the beginning, uh, not at the beginning, but at at the beginning of, like, the formation of the Avengers is stopping to be just a, a random collection of guys, and they became a group. Uh, you know, Coulson's died and they're, they're having that, uh, or it's maybe it's before Coulson died, but they're having that argument where Cap says, you know, who are you? You're just a guy in a suit. There's nothing special about you. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. And then uh, Tony Stark says, well, everything special about you came out of a bottle. You know, this whole kind of thing. And they definitely wind up redeveloping that over the next couple of series of movies as their relationship grows and strains and doing those things. So they come full circle on that. And I think that's the kind of writing that they took it from that first movie where they meet up to the to the last moments and they really show that development. 
But then there's other times where these guys do things that are very against their characters that I still struggle with. And I struggle with uh, some of the end parts of Endgame for that reason. I, I want to chat about Endgame, but I want to hold before we get there because there's just so many thoughts. Um, one thing one thing thinking about the MCU that I do think it got a C plus, maybe a C minus on in my opinion, is the treatment of its um, significant others. You know, like I think, and I, this maybe this is a comic book thing. I don't read a lot of comic books, but I think, you know, Pepper Pot and Pepper Potts and Tony, like a lot of their drama and, and stuff that happens between them as we get further into the MCU happens off screen. And I mean, Jane Foster disappears. disappears. Do, does anybody <laughs> remember the name of Dr. Stranger's nurse? You know, mm-hmm. like the women, the love interests. Rachel McAdams. Um, and I, and I'm, yes, thank you. Um, and I, you know, it, it, and it's to the point where it's like, if it's so throwaway, maybe the movie doesn't even need this. I don't. Um, think, what, do, what do you all think? I apologize. I don't think that's a victim, a victim or byproduct rather of the movie. In almost, at least in two of those cases, with Natalie Portman and Rachel McAdams, uh, both actresses were kind of done. You know, they, they didn't want to keep doing comic movies. And so I think the movies, I'm not saying they found the best way to handle their exits, but they, yeah, it had to happen off screen. I was actually surprised when watching Endgame, Natalie Portman showed up, but then I learned that that was footage actually from uh, Dark World, but they did get her involved to do audio recording. So she was willing to come back and be a small part. Um, so I, I think those two examples are just victims of the the actors ready to, to move on to other things. But with the Pepper Potts, I, I think there's a certain point of, again, I think that at its core, they're comic films. We want to see the spectacle. We don't want to see the mundane. I, I think it's important that we have some more of the mundane so we get rooted and feeling you know more relatable with these characters. But at the end of the day, we still want them to be fantastic, larger than life. And I'm wondering if those kind of moments detract from that as a whole. Do you think Marvel could interject a, you know, kind of like a real Chris Nolan or a, a Dark Knight into the MCU or a, a movie that is not spectacle? Like, do you think that would I, work? I, I, think, I think we will see that, but I think we will see that uh, in Disney+. Plus. Hmm. Yeah, that's what the Netflix shows were kind of designed to be, I think. 100%. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I was. I found myself sort of wishing for, <laughs> not that this would be like commercial or <laughs> maybe only I want to see something like this. But but prior to Endgame, some more grounded, slow down, even like you know a TV series or something. I, I it's it's why I love like something like Logan a little bit more. Mm. Like it's you know if we step back, we have a slightly smaller world. It's you know it's. It's gritty. It's character driven, mm-hmm. and it kind of just really reacquaints you with the character. And then you, and then you, it's just that much more, you know, intense when they, you know, do the apocalyptic battle at the end of, you know, at the end of a later movie. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I would love to see more stuff like that. I don't, I don't know if they, if they, mm-hmm. they can at, at a movie level. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Two small things I would have liked to have seen change were um, as well were um i'm not i'm again this a little bit of an outcast i know and i've already said this i think we did an mcu one podcast in chicago for nerd we we did a kind of the state of the mcu right after uh old age of ultron had come out but before civil war so about the halfway point Um, roughly so i don't like civil i mean i don't like um winter soldier because i think chris evans and scarlett johansson are terrible actors uh chris evans can play things i think he's great johnny storm I don't. I never connected with him as Cap. 
Um, and I don't know if I that's really because my it. previous experience of not another teen movie mm-hmm. and <laughs> Fantastic Four. That's my favorite role of his, but I happen to like him as, as Cap. So I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. He grew on me a little bit. Like, his interactions with Tony, I always feel that not great actors are elevated, obviously, by the better actors they're with. So when he was with Robert Downey Jr., I felt like that's when he was at his A game. Um, and then, like, scenes between Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr., I felt like I could have sat and watched for hours of them uh-huh. just talking. Um, but so it, when it's him and Scarlett Johansson and Winter Soldier, I was like, oh, this is like watching porn actors with pages of dialogue. Like, this is atrocious. Um, that's a small complaint because I still like the movies, even if I maybe don't love certain episodes in it. Uh, Scarlet Witch, I think, exemplifies powers not being understood. Um, what are Scarlet Witch's powers without describing what you know of her from the comic books? I think you'd ha- have a hard time with that, even from the comic books. Yeah. yeah very true. Yeah, I mean, she can um, fall in... And I like Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah. yeah. And I actually like What's-His-Name from Kick-Ass that played her brother. Yeah. But... Mm-hmm. Um, she can fall in love with robots, and... <laughs> can't we And all... I love that relationship. Yeah, I, I love I, like, I, that, I, too. It grew on me. I can't wait for that uh, Netflix show where they're in the 50s, oh. and they're, like, they're going against, like, Russian agents or whatever they're proposing. Wow. She can she can gradually lose her accent. She can gradually yeah. lose yeah. her yeah. accent, yes. <laughs> Like Halle Berry from X-Men 1 to X-2. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I don't think it was that gradual, by the way. I think it just no, straight, it was, no, it was, yeah, straight up. Yeah, like Infinity War. Suddenly, um, she's an yeah. American. <laughs> um, oh, man, you totally derailed my train of thought, Ricky. I lost I'm it. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, so before we got to kind of get into the, the end game chat here. Which, which, so after everything is said and done, which, which movie is your favorite and which is the worst? Like now that they're all the whole Infinity Saga. Is That's out not there. fair. I know. Pick two bad ones. Pick two bad ones. <laughs> because Thor: Dark World. Yeah. Has to no, be excluded. It's yeah. That has to be excluded. That's a that's a dumpster fire of a movie. Mm-hmm. That is only referenced in Endgame because the two head writers were called in to do rewrites on Dark World. That's funny. Um, yeah. and, and, and to be, have you seen the meme going around where you know, like all movies are created equal, blah blah blah, and then Thor: Dark World's at the bottom of the list? Have you seen that? Seen meme? It. Yeah, yeah my my friend did this jo- as a joke, mm-hmm. trying to people who asked this question. What's what's your favorite movie? What's the worst movie? Make a list mm-hmm. of the Marvel movies, and he's like, it's like they're they're all fine movies. We don't need to list them. And it's done in a list form. But the gag at the end is Thor: Dark World is Thor- at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I, I I think I think to that point though, like. We're, we're ragging on Thor Dark World, mm-hmm. rightfully so, maybe. Um, but at the same time, it still wasn't a bad movie. Mm-hmm. It, but when that's our lowest bar, what a good problem to have. You know, sure it, was, it, sure it was a mess, but it was entertaining enough. It's, you know, it was comic booky. Uh, it was Eccleston phoning it in and a bunch of other things. So a little bit of Chris O'Dowd, you know, it, you know, but again, like when that's our low bar like that for me, like I group them, right? Like high points and low points. I don't have a favorite child. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, like you, you typically hear Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, and Thor Dark World are at the bottom. And I think those are just byproducts of them finding their feet. Uh, so, like, everything, you know, in the Phase 3 from basically Civil War on, I, I struggle with going, man, there was a bad movie in there. There might not have been movies for me, but as a whole, I, I, I yeah. I can I can happily say that uh, Guardians 2, I think, is just a little bit better than Thor Dark World. That, I think that's fair. Yeah, of the two Guardians, like, Guardians 2 hits a personal place for me because my, my father had passed away shortly after that. So I was like, okay, some daddy issues. But yeah, going back and rewatching it later, it's just like, yeah, no, it's just not nearly as strong. Whereas Guardians One is easily the one where I can go, I'll just toss it on the background. You know, I, th- yeah. those are the movies I tend to watch. Again, are the fun movies, the escapisms, your your Guardians, your Thor Ragnarok, uh, the first Iron Man, uh, Black Panther. Uh, th- th- those are kind of like my top shelf Marvel films that I will just toss on because why not? I have I have a weird love for Iron Man Three, a little bit Shane Black love. It's a great um, Shane Black movie. I also enjoy the the realness uh, and the smaller scope of the PTSD that Tony is dealing with mm-hmm. in Iron Man. One hundred percent. I I, yeah. I I dug it. I'm actually glad they brought that kid back. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, who the hell is this kid? Yeah. He's the one I did that too. I'm, I'm googling as soon as the credits are rolling. So yeah, I'm glad that wasn't just me. <laughs> I, I appreciate they put it in there, but the collective world, the collective internet, was yeah. like. Who's this kid? Yeah, it's like um, yeah, a funeral of famous people, and then some millennial kid. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so Chris, what's your favorite, and then least favorite, excluding Dark World? Um, excluding Dark World. Um... Unless you think there is one that you like less than Dark World. I'm gonna say the really controversial thing first, and I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this. I really didn't like Captain Marvel. Um, and and yep, um, Briggs and I talked about this off mic um, a while back. I felt Captain Marvel had a couple of problems. One, it felt like a phase one film in phase three or four, whatever they're in. Yeah. Um, and I felt they were leaning too much into their own tropes. Like, I love Ben Mendelsohn, but there was so many responses from his character as a scrawl that I was like, would he say that? Like, I loved the whole, dude, you're my science guy, man. But I thought it was so out of place for a space alien you know um but um the thing i will say though about captain marvel is i don't like captain marvel like i I think brie larson is a great fine actress but the character is she (laughs) the movie where she the movie where she shines she's with one other actor and it's a child for most of the movie Oh, I don't know what movie you're talking about. Room. Sorry. The Room, oh, room yeah, yeah. Okay. in which she won her Oscar. Um, I mean, what movie do you, she, wait a minute, what movie she, do you know her as a fine actress from? Fair enough. 21, um, 21 Jump Street? Um, Scott like, Pilgrim. Like the, like the Scott problem, Pilgrim. The problem, Scott Pilgrim. The problem with Captain Marvel was she was written as such a blank slate character that I didn't feel anything for her. And even when she finally finds out who she is from Earth, we still don't learn anything. Like, she's a hotshot pilot. She's kind of like a C-plus maverick. But they never really go into that, <laughs> and she just kind of stays the same. Like it was just wooden to me. Um, so I mean, and when I say I don't like the movie, it's it's still very fun. It's still good. Um, but it, but yeah, like that was that. I just I thought the character was boring. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I'm not. I liked. I like Black Panther more, mm. but I got really sad in Black Panther when they. I think for the same reasons of Captain Marvel, 
Black Panther, I felt like they touched on a storyline that I thought was way more interesting than the story they went on, which dealt with the race relations and the gentrification in Oakland in California in the mid-90s with them uh, giving weapons to the lower-class African-Americans of that. Um, I was just like, oh, this is interesting. This is an interesting way to deal with that. Where Captain Marvel, similarly, when she has the thing on the back of her neck, and we find out that that's what's actually repressing her powers. And it could have been more than just subtext, or it could have been elevated a little bit more of controlling a strong woman. I, I also felt Captain Marvel's powers were, the origin of them were kind of ridiculous. Like, she was near an engine that was powered by the Tesseract that blew up, <laughs> and she got those powers. Like, apparently the power to... Bruce Banner's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. I get hit by a blast, and I turn into a green monster. Um, she gets hit and gets to stay the same looking and super strong and can fly. Yeah, it just didn't make, it just didn't make sense to me based on everything else we've seen with the Infinity Stones and everybody else who's had interactions with them that somehow that would happen to her. I just... I, I, is that how she gets her powers in the comics? Is that Let, like, no. we're better not we're, so we're better much. not discussing the comics? Well, I'll leave it like that. Her origin story in the comics is muddy, uh, at, at best. I, I I'm actually of the opinion that I'm totally fine with how she got her powers. Yeah, because it, it works con, it, it works contextually in the MCU. Is it is it perfect? No, nothing about this franchise is perfect. But I think within the rules that they established, even though they play fast and loose with them. It's still within the confines. How did Scarlet Witch get her powers? Something with the the the, the spirit stone, you know, it, you know, it, things like that. Uh, you know, Bruce's point: he was blasted with gamma radiation, and he became what he was, but he wasn't blasted with a stone. You know, there are lots of ways that we can define where these people got their powers from, and it's it, yeah, it's muddy at best. But I, again, if you think about the rules that they've built, I think it works. Um, I need to keep us moving, and I think my baby is about to come walking through the door. Um, so, in game, we need to chat about the finale. Uh, did they stick the landing? I thought so, yeah. Um, Why'd you think so? I don't know if it's just the comic book geek in me, man, but they hit so many different levels in that last fight. Like, the last, was it 45 minutes? It's was... actually only 20 minutes of fighting. Oh, I my God. On, on, my yeah. third, on my third <laughs> viewing, I timed it. <laughs> no, I... I just had so many I want to stand up and cheer moments in that I yeah I thought they stuck it as a comic book geek I, I haven't really thought about it as a moviegoer yet mm -hmm. I'm still riding the comic book high from it mm -hmm. give me the third viewing we'll, we'll see <laughs> yeah I mean I think like just just the you know we've talked a lot about like tone and like to go from a you know a movie that starts out like the show the leftovers for like a while you know it's mm -hmm. like it's very like you know i mean this is a this is a dark tone this is a somber tone and then to like pretty swiftly get into humor and and i, I you know on, on the whole i feel like it hit a lot of its marks in a really nice way and then just like yeah just like the moment when everyone comes back you know it's just like so satisfying and you know i i i I'm amazed that a three-hour movie, you know, just felt like it clipped along. Like there was something about mm. the pacing of it that I just thought was really strong. I mean, mm -hmm. I could, I could quibble about a few things or nitpick, you know, some things that I would have done maybe a little differently. But I was like, oh, this is like incredibly satisfying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, DJ, what'd you think? Uh, I I had a couple issues with. It. I mean, I I really enjoyed it as a watch, but then I went back and looked at it and. Uh, there were some things that, for me, they just, uh, I, I don't know, that there was some stuff that was way outside of character for me. 
for a couple things, like Cap just deciding that he's going to go back to the 40s and retire, knowing all that he knows now about the future and the fact that Hydra is, like, still lurking around the world, and we're supposed to just accept that he wants to go have his dance and, you know, go sleep with his other girlfriend's aunt. There are some things there that I have issues with. Um, But more for me, the things that were hard was, like, they completely nerfed Hulk. And that, to me, I, I didn't need the revenge moment, but I did need some, like, some Hulk smash. I really wanted some thorough Hulk smash. And it kind of, we got, like, uh, Professor Hulk, kind of. You know, even Professor Hulk was would still Hulk out. We didn't really get that. Um Fat Thor was uh, actually a huge disappointment to me. Funny for the visual, but at the end of the day, it's one of those other things where I'm like, the, the, the Viking warrior god who's lived for a thousand years now comes and has way but too much you, beer. You know what I give him props for, man? Really leaning into it. <laughs> that fat armor I mean, at the completely. end everything. I mean, they... they... He didn't miraculously get thin with a lightning bolt type of thing that I was afraid I get that they were his physique. Do. I completely get that his physique is not tied into his powers, but then it, it's just one of those things where it was kind of like, "All right, this is the direction we're going with. We're gonna we're gonna stick with that." So that didn't work for me. I have so many questions about their just way that they threw out anything related to time travel is a is a just way to make their movie work. Oh no! There's you know, so there's, many. There's there, lot... there are several um, uh, problems with the timeline they have now, but I still, I'm still in with it right now. I just want to know if somewhere around 15, 16 year old Peter Parker now, when he goes on his senior trip, is he actually a 20 year old trip going on his trip, or is he like college age? Half, that no, the next... <laughs> that, half, that, half that, of his friends so are many, in college now. The, the continuity breaking uh, really bothers me in a lot of ways. Like. Glad to see everybody come back, um, you know. But those kind of little things, uh, for we spent ten years getting to this point where we micro managed every single little detail in these movies, and then they threw these big boulders at us of like, but don't pay attention to it. It's just a MacGuffin. We're you know we're not going to really worry about it. And then they walk away, and we're supposed to just accept it. That to me is very difficult. Everybody else. So to those points, I I understand where you're you're coming from and and those points of negatives. But at the same time, I there are answers for every single example that you listed. The problem with the movie though is the movie itself doesn't do a good job at explaining it. We're having to get these answers outside of the context of the movie, like the whole cap thing. He went back in time, but it's a different parallel universe where Hydra didn't take over Shield and things like that. You know, so the fact that they're not clear about that is a fault of the film. Uh, for sure, and I definitely understand why people have you know the same reaction as you do. That's very, very valid, DJ. Um, I, I, and, and we're not getting consistent answers yeah, either. Yeah, exactly. The, the Russo brothers giving one set of answers, and then the writers giving another uh-huh. set of answers. So it's it's that much more convoluted after the fact. Yeah, where I think it's well, and there also there's also was talk about well maybe Cap and Agent Carter in a Disney plus show, if Chris Evans wants to do it, where they're going to be secret agents where he's not captain America. And they're an eight, they're a Mr. And Mrs. Smith kind of partner team. Right. In the 70s. Cause they've already said the first episode and that is going to be, what if Peggy was the cap? 
you know, what if Peggy got yep. the serum? So they definitely, I, I, I think the what if creates a lot of room for exploration. But, but you know, back to Endgame specifically, for me, Infinity Gauntlet was the comic major series that got me into comics at a young age. So when we were when it was revealed that Thanos was going to be the villain and we were getting these stones, man, little six year old me started freaking out again. However old I was at that point, and so I, I've done my best. As soon as the movie was over, you know, I'm weepy. I'm ch- we stood up to cheer when Cap got his hammer. We all laughed. It was it was one of the most satisfying theatrical experiences of my life. But as soon as it was done, I'm like, I am not going to get critical of this film because it will fall apart a hundred percent. Uh, and, and so, to Rob's point, I'm definitely in the category of I'm enjoying it for the experience and the spectacle. As someone who used to review movies all the time for a living, I found, I found that by being critical, I enjoy them less in general. So I've definitely scaled it back on that a bit for me. So it's easier to please me, and I'm aware of that. Um, but all in all, I, I think I'm personally really happy with Endgame. But yeah, if I start digging into things, the, we keep talking about the Thor point. I want to take, take this moment to touch on that because it's a real personal note for me. We walked out of the first showing of Endgame, and people were laughing at Thor, and I'm like, haha, guys, you know I have the same body type, right? This isn't funny to me. Uh, and they're like, no, you don't have this body, you're not fat. And I'm like, no, no, I really am. But, you know, you don't see that often, because I dress in different ways and things like that. And no, so you're laughing at him, it's very representative to me, and that has been a conversation that's been online as well, uh, to the point where you guys have mentioned... Um, Thor, just in general through the franchise, became the butt of jokes. You're 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 no longer laughing with Thor. You're laughing at Thor, and that whole sequence. Well, it was funny at first. Like now, watching it three times and seeing shots that were very calculated to go, Haha, look at fat Thor. Like unnecessary shots. And while I think it's great, I think the story of Thor is great. My personal favorite moment of the film is when Thor gets the hammers back and he realizes still he's still worthy. That is the most empowering moment of the film. I don't care. Uh, any other moment's great, but for someone who suffers from depression and things like that and losing track of your physical fitness and your mental health, to to have that realization that no matter what you've gone through, you're still worthy was a huge moment. And I wish that moment hadn't been downplayed by all the jokes. That is my, my biggest gripe about the commentary of the film, but as far as spectacle and, and comic book enjoyment goes, man, I, I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah, I really liked, um, I did not know that there was a five-year time jump in the movie, um, so I really loved that they kind of leaned into this reverse rapture, and like, what is the world like, you know, if half of, or what is the universe like if half of all life disappears, I thought was a really fascinating idea, um, and the fact that we jump five years and like, see how this is affecting everyone, I thought was a, kind of a really ballsy, cool move, and even the way they resolve it, like, I thought, you know, this is it. Like, they're going to, you know, they're going to do the snap and just reverse everything. No, they, it's still five years in the future. They just pull everyone there. Like, they just bring everyone back there. Like, I think that's a cool thing that, you know, the future movies are going to obviously nod to and deal with. Um, No, I just really appreciated, you know, like, seeing how all these characters dealt with this in different ways. Um, I think if there was, like, a big kind of missed opportunity, um, the whole Hulk thing, like, Hulk just kind of disappears, you know? Like, we never really find out why he um, reacted the way he did in Infinity War. We never really saw a discussion between Hulk and Banner. Like, it really was like Banner had just kind of erased his personality and taken the body over. 
And I thought that was a little bit of a disservice to the character. I'm not a huge Hulk fan, um, but I thought to kind of just have Hulk vanish was unfortunate. And also uh, Natasha and Bruce, you know, like speaking to love stories again, like to bring it back to that point, you know, those two, I guess, never got together for whatever reason, which is fine, but, you know, we don't even address it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the movie, I've, and, yeah, and you open the time travel door, yes, there's going to be tons of problems um, with your plot, for sure. Um, but, yeah, there seemed like there were a few big, big uh, omissions that I was surprised about. But, overall, like, I, you know, like, I agree with, uh, I think you said it, Rob. Like, there's only so many theatrical experiences I've gone to where I was like, that was an amazing experience. The Dark Knight and the Avengers are both one of them. Um, and I think Endgame is really high up there. Like, I really do. Yeah. I haven't seen it, ag- I haven't seen it again. Of- I need to see it again. I only saw it one time, so. Would it have helped any of you that originally, uh, when Banner says, we're going to have to have a discussion, buddy, when he's in Hulkbuster at the end of Infinity War, that that's when he was supposed to originally turn into Professor Hulk. Oh, oh really? The transformation. Hmm. Yeah. And so they actually had to remake the opening where they go to Thanos and chop off his head and put him in the Hulkbuster costume. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, they thought they thought it didn't have the same impact, basically. Yeah. yeah it kind of it kind of. Well, it they thought it gave down. too much focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too much focus to Hulk at the end of Infinity War, where it's really not needed. Um. I don't like him as silly, like that diner scene, but I think that just goes to more of the jokey thing. I like I like that it gives Banner and Bruce this confidence that he's not had, but I still want to see a struggle where he... Professor Hulk could easily become Angry Hulk. Yeah. It's just now that's the battle that Professor Hulk can still be smart, but could still lose to him. There's a part of me that is really hoping somewhere in this world there is a cut scene of Banner and Hulk sitting down talking to Doc Samson. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, I love the... Yeah, when I love the Bleecker Street scene when they go back into the original Avengers movie, I like the little the little scenes a lot in Avengers Endgame where the first 30 minutes I thought were awesome and how bleak and dark it was. And then, I mean, when did, when did everybody cry assuming everybody did cry which, when did it start which time yeah, yeah i was gonna say which <laughs> yeah 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 i mean so for me like i got i welled up during the the tony and his dad oh yeah scene where he realizes that his dad maybe wasn't a great dad but every generation gets better um but for me it was the tears started when spider-man showed up at the end fight and then they they poured when um cheeseburger Gwyneth Paltrow. No. cheeseburger <laughs> yeah, yeah well i mean then definitely <laughs> but before that when uh when pepper said to him you can rest now <laughs> oh god yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah definitely i i found myself oddly uh moved when when rocket raccoon uh jumped on top of groot and was very worried for him oh god yeah yeah yes. <laughs> that was one of many yeah. huge moments in my audience <laughs> um i don't i feel like that that could have been a great opportunity to go back not so much to fat thor but um diminishing depression where they were like easily making a joke where I think I would have liked it maybe a character elevation in Rocket getting a little bit more real with Thor more of just like ah oh, come on buddy snap out of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I, I mean like cause body image right Rocket has to deal with 
people assuming things about him because his body image all the time. He's just right. a rabbit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, what were you gonna say, Briggs? Well, that's what I. Yeah, I. I mean, I think some some of these problems that we're we were mentioning are, are you know, with individual characters. I think like there was, you know, coming into Endgame, if there's kind of a course correct where they are, with the writers and the directors are trying to juggle this tone, and without um, the guardians there, then it's then it's like, okay, where is humor gonna come from? And I feel like they leaned a lot on Paul Rudd and. Mm. And then I think like that was, like the course correct was was with Thor, Thor, and and with and with Hulk, as you know, and so those things feel a little out of character. But I think they were just sort of searching for where are we going to have the levity in the first half of this film? I, I don't know. I don't know if we yeah. talked about this because sorry, I had to step away from the mic for a second. But did anyone mention like Thor getting to meet his mom again? Did we? Did you all already talk no, about that? No, we didn't talk about that. We did not. We haven't gotten um, there yet. No. I, I really appreciated. First off, all the cameos and callbacks in this movie. <laughs> um, like, I get it. Like, if you're an MCU fan, this movie just, like, honors your dedication. Uh, but I loved seeing Rene Russo again. Um, and I just loved that sequence coming from one of the, you know, yeah. <laughs> least well-received movies in the whole series. I, I was, um, like, amazed by, oh, okay, this, this movie's so big that it's going to sort of bring Robert Redford out of retirement yeah mm. yeah. <laughs> Swinton, like, yeah you know like yeah um well and that ant-man i mean and i did like that and unfortunately after this moment is when they did the jokes of him turning into a baby turning him into old man um i feel like wasting time when we're just gonna buy later that there's two moments in the movie where tony stark does something stand backs and goes science with the uh the creation of the going back in time the um the gps the mobius strip mm. Yeah, well, the Mobius strip and then the uh, then the uh, the Infinity Gauntlet that he builds, but I love that Paul Rudd Ant Man goes to find his daughter. That that's his first thing. That it isn't like I gotta find Cap, I gotta find blah 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 and whatever and all this. So I I do like that sincerity, but then I do feel once he gets to the Avengers quarters, they do start going into a little little too jokey especially when the tone of the beginning is so dour and, and serious. That's something that I compared to the Infinity War, and I, I, I picked up on that as well. Man, Infinity War, like, there is no joy in Infinity War. I say that, like, generally speaking. There's some jokes, but once that movie starts, you're just kind of sitting there, kind of just numb, right? You're kind of in shock of all this stuff happening. There's some big, beautiful moments. And so I think tonally they had to shift that into the second one and maybe that had's a strong word but you compare the two movies and they're just they're two sides of the same coin dare i say there i was much kind of like captain marvel i had the same observation i was surprised i laughed as much as i did at endgame and not just from like hey you know we need to interject joy for the sake of interjecting joy it's just there was you know paul rudd is a great example of that paul rudd's gonna be paul rudd but there was just a lot of of comedy in this in this spectacle, I, I I can't even call it an action film. It's just spectacle. There was a lot of comedy in this. Um, I unfortunately need to keep us moving along because I have a sick baby in the other room. <laughs> um, so I know we have so much to say, and I need to save a little time here at the end for it. So, where do we go from here? Like you know, like what is what is what does Marvel do next? Like obviously they've talked about. This is the Infinity Saga, so they're planning on other sagas, of course. Um, so where do you think specifically Marvel 
will go or where do you hope they will go? And also, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of did something to films. Um, it did, you know, like it, the first time, you know, there was sound for a movie, that was a big deal. The first time we saw a movie in color, that was a big deal. I think the MCU, like a full narrative, cohesive, you know, mainly cohesive structure is a new thing for cinema and obviously everyone's trying to ape it now. So what do you think is the next kind of evolution I guess you could do with film or is there another genre um, that you would love to see do this I mean I, I have an opinion on this for sure uh, but well Universal Monsters tried they tried yeah. and, and DC is Ish. doing it backwards um, so yeah like let, let's address the Marvel thing first where does Marvel go from here I would love to see them go back to basics I mean, yeah, now, obviously, with the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, it has been, I'm air-quoting heavily, for those of you listening at home, confirmed of the multiverse. Um, and I'm excited by that. But again, the whole Quentin Beck, is he actually telling the truth? Kind of, I'm a huge Mysterio fan, first of all. I'm going to mark out about that. I'm so happy we're getting a fishbowl Mysterio in film, and it looks as good as it does. But back to my point, I'd be fascinated to see with the multiverse, it opens up lots of potential but they, they need to go back to the building blocks that they began with, these important characters that drive the story. We don't need the the bigger arcing stuff yet. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like Endgame again, ever. And not just in Marvel. Like, we'll get another big, you know, big piece uh, uh, at end of a saga, you know, maybe five or six years, but it's nothing's going to come close to this. And I, I, I'm good with that. So what comes next? I don't know. But I, I again, I hope they remember to, to stick with what worked in the, in the first place and let it be character driven anybody else well i mean i, I think they've the mcu is and, and kevin feige they they it's this kind of remarkable capacity i think particularly in the the recent movies to just consistently zig a little bit when you expect them to zag and you know so you know you when you get something like you know thor ragnarok's tone and then you get you know sort of you it's it's always a little bit surprising, and I just feel like they should keep leaning into that. I think they should keep finding um, some of these more idiosyncratic directors and, and writers. You know, if you if you can find other Ryan Kuglers and Taiki Watitis to kind of keep it going and kind of keeping pushing it in different directions, I think that's that's what most excites me. Well, and you said that you're never going to see a thing like in game like this again. Uh, you are high if you do not think that they are tentatively marking out an outline that has five different properties coming together and then thinking who they can keep from what is already going on here into that final, the finality they'd, of that. They'd be foolish thing. to not do that a hundred percent. Yeah. But I agree with already I don't think I mean, it's going to happen. They've got this. think tanks where we have, but where we have fantastic four and the X-Men coming together, probably with a Galactus storyline. God, I hope so. Because the only thing bigger than Thor or bigger than Thanos would, would probably be that probably maybe even orchestrated maybe a trick out of thinking it's going to be Galactus and it's something like Doom. That I would be on board or with. It's, or it's a Sinister Six, but it's not the Sinister Six in which we know of it to be. And then, like a Tony Stark killing off Thor, Chris Hemsworth, if, he's, if he goes that far into those movies or halfway doing it instead of, you know, because they have to subvert your idea of what's going to happen a little bit. So maybe that happens halfway through the next big pyramid that they're building. But they're not going to sit back and they're going to be like, all right, well, we don't need to make in all, we don't need to make Avenger Endgame money ever again. Well, I think it's telling that they're leading the next set of movies with Spider-Man. 
um, which is interesting because that that's not just the the characters, but then they're also tying these like shared rights properties things together, and then you're going to start introducing the Fantastic Four and the X Men. You know, Eternals is lined up, um, but I think that you know it, during the battle scene of Endgame, the hot potato kind of game of the the gauntlet being passed back and forth between it was like Captain Marvel, um, Black Panther, Spider Man, and that kind of tells you you know things are going in that direction, mm-hmm. and things are going to expand so much that. The expanse, I think, is going to be the risk. What I think they need to do personally, and especially looking at the success of uh, like Into the Spider Verse, they need to do some of those more specifically comic booky, gimmicky things. Like I want to see a full on Spider Verse live action movie. Um, you know, they they've had several big events like that in the comics now, where it's showing off the multiverse at its finest and making that kind of stuff fun. Well, and Far From Home might already be doing that. Again, this could be a fan theory, but they're saying Mysterio, they're looking at, oh, who's the next Iron Man? Well, the guy in the metal suit Mysterio is, which we're going to find out that actually Spider-Man is the next Iron Man. He could start his own Spider-Men team. Miles Morales already exists in this world. You, You heard his name in Homecoming. He could, and then Gwen Stacy, he could be putting together, it could be team movies. Instead of a bunch of individual superheroes coming together, it could be more of a Fantastic Four, X-Men, the Spider-Men, the Eternal, you know. It could be a bunch of teams coming together for the next kind of in-game thing. I definitely, one thing I want to see from Far From Home while we're on this is my biggest complaint with the, the, the last Spider-Man movie, Homecoming, and Far From Home, and it makes sense for the MCU, is I cannot wait for Peter Parker to get out of basically Tony Stark's shadow and be the independent genius that he is. So he still opens with the Iron Spider suit from what we've seen from the trailers, and he's going to have to grow and be his own his own, his own, own hero, his own guy. And I'm really excited to what the future of Spider-Man does for the MCU when Far From Home ends. Because I do think that, that this version of Spider-Man is going to be the forefront uh, of the MCU going forward, and that kid has so much potential. Tom Holland is just amazing. Uh, even if he's not necessarily my favorite version of Spider-Man, I still acknowledge what he does with the role, and both on and off stage. And there's so much potential here, and I'm so excited for him. And I could be tracking the story in the trailer wrong from Far From Home, but I think you see the progression of actually the downgrade 100%. into that black, yeah, into that black like homemade Spider-Man suit. I don't want to see Nick Fury step up to be the the the, the new parental role, basically. Yeah, and that, so that, that's right. what I'm thinking. I, yeah. I agree with you 100. percent um, I think it's it's worth. I don't know if we mentioned this, but I think it's worth also talk or just giving a shout out to um, the legalese that the MCU created as far as like how lawyers and actors negotiate contracts and like how companies book for multiple films now and stuff. Like I think this is like far and above any way more complicated than things that came before, and it's impressive from a legal standpoint that while narratively and creatively they were doing all these things. You know, in produ- in in contract meetings, they were able to <laughs> secure the actors they needed. You know, like when you mentioned Robert Redford, uh, you know, like oh man, was that in his initial contract? Right. You know, like that's yeah. just such so interesting to me. I'd love to have seen those meetings. <laughs> um, but you know, 
we won't. So, <laughs> I, I um, love the mystery behind well, it too. I have it, friends who worked on production that she thought she was working on Ant Man and the Wasp, <laughs> and when she saw Endgame, she's like, "Huh, those bastards!" I was actually working on this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the level of secrecy too, like just it's impressive. You know, it is. It's a well-oiled machine. What are you gonna say, Ricky? Sorry. What about the deleted scene from Endgame? Is everybody aware of that? I'm not. Where Tony dies and is with Morgan, but yes. uh, a teenage Morgan, which could have also lended a little bit more to the thought of the next phase, maybe jumping in some years for her to becoming the new you, Iron you mean, Man. You mean where he what? sees her in the Soul Stone? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember reading that they opted to not go for that because it killed the mood, and like they had this very well-known actress to play her. And they were worried that yeah. that would be really confusing. Yeah. Who was it? I don't, the I girl from uh, the 13 Reasons uh, Why. 13 Reasons yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know I don't know where they go from here. Um, Isn't you know, that exciting? It, yeah. it is exciting. Really I, is. I will say I'm not, I'm not a comic book fan. Like, what's happening with the MCU, I have loved and thought has been amazing. I would love to see this success um, with... Uh, video game properties which has really had a troubled past with having successful films um and so i don't know if we'll ever see that but as a gamer i would love to i would love for what's happening with comic books to happen to video games maybe maybe one day it will just got to be owned by disney just got to be just got to be owned by disney you know i mean the arkham games were, the arkham games were pretty good yes 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 but that, i think that speaks more to the property there also based on like i i would point to like castlevania on netflix being a very successful adaptation of a of a gaming franchise you know um but yeah i don't know i don't know i'm just throwing out ideas so yeah to, to your point i think you're talking about where like it, like the movies did it do uh the source material justice right where uh, yeah, yeah and and i i think you know love or hate things about this movie i think we can all agree that what the movie did worked fine and i think the spirit of a lot of things they got right and i would love to see that expand more beyond the realm of comic book films like you video game to screen adaptations you know other book to screen adaptations uh, i know we're not necessarily talking about game of thrones here but obviously that's been a hot debate lately as to whether or not they're getting the spirit of the story across and i think as we're adapting more of these properties to film i think this is a really important conversation to have and, and what kind of impact that has um I think that's a great place to kind of wrap things up, my friends. I, I wish we could chat further about this, but I do have a sick kiddo in the next room that I need to, to check out with. Uh, great. Well, then, real quick, um, let's just go around. Briggs, where can, where can people find you or follow you or, or, you know? Oh, yeah. Hit me up on Twitter, at Briggs Hatton. Perfect. Huh? Great. Um, and uh, Ricky, what about you? What, what's going on in your life, sir? Plug your stuff. Hit me up at Twitter at Ricky Glore. Cool, uh, DJ, you my friend. Uh, no, don't come find me. I'm in two grad schools simultaneously. I, I don't need anyone. To oh, that's me. why I can't find you anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been a little busy. Um, Rob, what about you? Uh, if you really want to come meet me, come meet me at Cortino, State in Ontario. <laughs> oh, and uh, Chris, what about you? Where can people find you or follow you if they wish to? Yeah, yeah. So you'll find me at Dragon Con in a couple of months here in Atlanta. Uh, big, uh, big convention in the Southeast, and uh, I'm everywhere on social media, social media as PageMasterJim. Uh, J I M is Jim Ignatowski. So PageMasterJim, come find me. 
Perfect. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today to chat about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hopefully we touched on a little bit of everyone's love and, and whatnot about this series. Next up will be Game of Thrones. So be on the lookout for that topic coming out soon since that franchise is also slowly wrapping up. I've been never heard of never it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. No <laughs> idea what that is. Um, great. I've been your host, Chris Bashan, and joining me for this uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe discussion has been Briggs Hatton, Ricky Glore, Rob Shoemake, DJ Fink, Crispy. Thank you, and Avengers Assemble. Assemble.